That was fan. Oh, that was fantastic. That was great. You are truly blessed to have such a magnificent choir on hand. Uh, as I have a come from a church with a more traditional background, uh, that is uh, just music to my ears and a great blessing to me. Um, and uh, thank you very much, choir master, for putting up with my singing. Uh, I know that's a a little difficult. I'm not a great singer, so I bet you were cringing the entire time sitting next to me. Well, Merry Christmas to all. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. Um, just a couple of days ago, uh, many of you participating in a wonderful ritual that we do around Christmas of gift giving. Uh, kids, what were some of the gifts, what were some of your favorite gifts? It's okay to yell it out. I know in church that's usually not okay, but it's okay. Name out some of your favorite gifts. Family? It's okay. It's okay. I know. It was, it was a gamble. Um, many, many single folks probably got gift cards to their favorite restaurants or movie tickets. Uh, Many parents probably got appliances or tools of some sort, or maybe uh, a golf bag or a new hockey stick um, to enjoy their favorite sports. Uh, many grandparents probably got a ton of pictures, right? That is usually the go-to gift with grandparents. They love pictures. Uh, uh, whatever you got during this fun ritual of gift-giving, someone gave you it, right? Someone gave you a gift. But what if you got a gift and started to think you earned it? What if, as a community, we were given a gift and started to believe we earned it? I think that the twilight of Gideon's life gives us insight into this phenomenon. Uh, Turn with me now to Judges chapter 8, verses 22 to 28. Again, that is Judges, chapter 8, verses 22 to 28. I will be reading from the ESV. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and beside the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city, in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest forty years in the days of Gideon. It's 
the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God, and you delight in us. You enjoy us. Lord, may uh, you use my preparation. May you use my mind. May you you use my time of study uh, to encourage and bless this congregation, Lord. May my words be fruitful and my thoughts be edifying to you for most glory to the to the one on high, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever wanted to be a part of something? A part of some successful movement? I have. I can keenly remember a time in my life where I had just become a Christian, and uh, this was in my college college years. I had just become a Christian. I was an atheist previous to that. And I wanted to be on the cutting edge of the church movement. I wanted to be a part of the hip kids, the cool ones, uh, the pastors with their rough cut jeans and their Ed Hardy t-shirts, um, their rejections of the traditional things that we do at church, uh, a rejection of Uh, the pulpits and no stuffy organs or no hymns that people have never heard about. I didn't want anything to do with that. I wanted to be uh, cool and wear uh, wear a cool t-shirt with Jesus on it, maybe being like a DJ or something like that. That was my idea of a successful movement. I wanted to preach sermons that were filled with jokes and uh, glib language. Sermons that shocked and rattled their congregation rather than steadily transforming them. I wanted to attract a large number of Christians coming to the Lord because I saw that as successful. I trusted in these pastors, these techniques, and their looks for success rather than God as the ultimate source of success. And I was just like the Israelites in the time of Judges. See, we come to the book of Judges, and there's constantly this phrase, there there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we come to the, the passage of Gideon, and we're at the twilight, the end of his life and his career, and Gideon kind of goes off the deep end. He goes off the deep end. But when we look at this story, and before we get more into this story, I want to make the disclaimer. I don't think we should look at Gideon and compare it to our own lives. Because this is not a sermon about how to be like Gideon or how not to be like Gideon. Because this story is not about us. It was not written to us, but for us. So who are we in this story? Or who are we like in this story? We are like the Israelites following Gideon. We follow our leader's example of trusting in the good gifts rather than the good gift giver here. And what is the gift that God consistently gives the Israelites in the book of Judges? 
He gives them success, accomplishment, victory over those oppressors. So they saw with Gideon, the Israelites did, they saw with Gideon came success. And in the previous chapters, it shows their compromising of who is giving the success with the phrase, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So we already see that compromising happening. This corruption we see in our own lives too, right? This is the infection of the depravity that we hold on to in our fallen condition. Just like the Israelites who followed Gideon, we are often tempted to believe we are the makers of our own success. I'll say that again. Just like Israelites who followed Gideon, we are often tempted to believe we are the makers of our own success. Right? We do this all the time. We want to be successful. Now, success can mean a few things, but the two parts I want to focus on are an accomplishing of a goal at hand and to be prosperous. The success that is focused on most, I already uh, said, when we looked in this chapter and in the book of Judges, is a success of accomplishment, of driving out those people that are not supposed to be in the promised land. See, they are reaping the sins of in Joshua that they have failed to push out these foreigners, these people that are not supposed to be here. This is their promised land, the Israelites' promised land. And Israelites, the Israelites want the Midians gone, and they believe Gideon does it for them. He is their vehicle of success. This desire for success is not bad. I want to I emphasize that. It is not bad to desire to be successful in our lives. How it is an innate and good desire. It is actually part of our calling as the children of God. We hear in the second chapter of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Right? There's connotations of success in that. And also in the Abrahamic promise in chapter 12, of Genesis. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. You have to be successful in those things. That is part of our calling, is to be successful. And success is wrapped up into that. See, sin will always do that. It will always take a righteous, innate desire and twist it towards hell's end. And I want to I want to caution us when we use the word successful. Because when we use the word success, there is a failure to communicate often, right? Because we live in plentiful America. America is glorious, but it is also, it has kind of numbed our senses to what success actually looks like. Because there is God's version of success and what we will call Canaanite success. And at the heart of Canaanite success is an absence of gratitude towards the maker of heaven and earth in every minutia of life. Because you see in this, this passage, the Israelites are transforming into Canaanites. They are thinking about Canaanite success. 
rather than God's success. But with all these temptations and traps with success, where's our answer? I'm glad you're asking that question. I'm thankful to, for Dr. Auker at Covenant Seminary, who gave me some keen insight into this text and helped me formulate a solution to this foam theme we have here. Hear me. Because God is the ultimate source of our success, we must trust in his provision. Again, because God is the ultimate source of our success, we must trust in his provision. And you might be thinking right now, of course God is the ultimate source of our success. But I put the work in. And that's how I got here. Right? No, that, that's Canaanite success. That's Canaanite success. Let me give you an illustration. You hear the phrase multitasking a lot in this day and age, multitasking, um, that you can really concentrate on multiple things at once. Well, you really can't. Uh, you can have a couple of things floating in your head at one time, but you can never give 100% of your attention or focus to that. Like a computer, uh, when you have an internet web browser up, you can have multiple pages up but you're only looking at one page at a time. And that's the same with your brain. Uh, The average person can maybe do a a dozen of those web pages in their brain at once, right? We can have probably at max a dozen things that we're juggling, but we're each going to those one at a time, thinking about it for a little bit, and then jumping to the next, right? Jumping, jumping, jumping. A genius can have 30 to 40 around, You know how many subconscious things are happening in your brain that you're not focusing on? A hundred? A thousand? Tens of thousands? Let's try millions. Right? Most people, when we get up and we walk, we don't think about putting one leg in front of the other. Most people. Or we don't think about, ah, I need to chew right now. It just happens. You can think about other things while you're chewing. Or driving. Driving's a great example. You can go an hour without noticing, oh, wait a second, I'm, I'm on the highway. Or what about, let's say, even more subconscious things that's totally removed from our subconscious? What about cell building? Right? We don't think about that. We don't think about cells being built in our bodies. This is how God is with success in our lives. It's a way to think about it. We point to the current position at work, but we fail to neglect that we were born in America to enable us to get the jobs that we have or the fathers and the mothers to teach us the millions of things we know or the grandkids to give us the blessing and to teach us more. There are millions of things that could hold us back every single day but God enables and creates environments that sustain and foster success in our lives. And that is God-honoring understanding of success. Thus, we rightly have to believe that because God is the ultimate source of our success, we must trust in his 
provision. And I see this provision in two points in this passage. The first is we must trust in the laws he gives. And second, we must trust in the salvation he gives. So on to the first point. So we must trust in the law he gives. See, the Israelites had been given the law. It taught them how to be human beings. It showed them how to be the new humanity to the people around them and to be a blessing to those around them. And we come into this story with that framework in mind. And what do we hear in verse 22? Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. They are asking him specifically to be their king. We want you to be our ruler. Sirens would be going off in the heads of the Israelite readers that read this a couple of generations later under the king of David. And they should be going off for us too, right? Because the Israelites have created laws about creating kings, and it's not a democracy. In Deuteronomy 17, it specifically states what needs to happen for a king to come to Israel. The culmination of this king is not dependent upon whether he is liked by the populace, but that he is chosen by God. Gideon goes on to do something very bizarre in this passage. He rightly rejects their advances for kingship, but then he goes on to ask for tribute. What tribute does he ask for? Gold earrings, purple robes, crescent moons. Not a big deal, right? Some war souvenirs. Meh. No. No. The amount of gold earrings is equivalent to 43 pounds of gold. Yes, that is a lot of gold. And who wears the purple robes? Who wears the purple robes? The kings of Midian. And their camels wear the crescent silver moons. And later in the story, he goes on to name his son Abimelech, which, wait for it, means son of the king. Congregation, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So it is the same with Gideon. And what are the Israelites doing in this passage? They're participating in throwing God's law out the window. See, God's law are not only there to show those around them what the new humanity looks like, but also to protect his people. And we also see that his tribute asking is specifically what God says not to do in Deuteronomy 17, for the kings not to collect gold and silver from their people. And that's what he does. Complete contrast. Oh no, I won't be your king, but in everything else, yes, I am your king. Now, how do we apply we must trust in the laws he gives, right? Well, the first example I can think about that doesn't happen in this text is speaking up. No Israelite spoke up during this this gift-giving process. He had 300 men with him there. Nobody said, 
Guys, Deuteronomy 17 says we shouldn't do this. How often have we ignored God's law for the sake of success? How convenient it would be to flub numbers in a boardroom meeting so it doesn't, it doesn't disturb anything, that we can just get along and go along, right? Because it's better for the company not to, raise, uh, not to raise a fuss about something. Or I see a lot of how the government should take care of these displaced people in our country. And this is a very difficult topic. But where is the church's voice in this? We are supposed to welcome the strangers and the sojourners. But will we be a more successful church financially if we aren't burdened by a family that is just living off of us? This asks us to take our scripture seriously, to take God's law seriously. And again, we have to rightly believe that because God is the ultimate source of our success, we must trust in his provision. So we have already covered trusting in the laws he gives, and we will finish up with point two. So we must trust in the salvation he gives. Again, look with me at the second part in verse 22. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Before, in the previous chapter, I mentioned uh, there was a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Now God is completely out of the picture in this passage. And he's cut out of the victory, and it isn't even a victory God condones. If you look at the previous chapter, Verses 21 or 1 through 21, these events, Gideon is on a rampage really here. He massacres his own people and he becomes a vigilante and he scourges his own people. But also he kills the rest of the Midianites, which God doesn't say he needs to do. But what do the people the Israelites do? They ignore the fact that their brothers were whipped and scourged. They ignore the fact that a tower was thrown down and an entire population of men of a city were killed because they wanted their king. They wanted their success. Dr. Ocker again comments on this passage that the failure of, the Israel, of Israel and the Gideons and Gideon to truly recognize that God alone is their king strikes at the heart of their covenantal relationship with God. And it ultimately distorts their view of salvation, as we see in verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Look at that language there. These aren't glib words, but deep and painful words from the narrator, connotating debasement, futility, and entanglement. For Israel, this is for the Israelites that are participating in this madness. Gideon, the ephod, and his dynasty are salvation for Israel, not Yahweh, their covenant king. This saddens my heart greatly, and it saddens my heart that we participate like that. We do the exact same thing. 
we go after our idols of success in successing uh, looking at power and of money and of security in our modern American age. And we trust in those things. Those are our salvation, not the covenant king, Yahweh. And despite all of this that they have been through, the rich history of God's mighty speaks acts in salvation, him saving them out of Egypt, bringing them into the land that he promised them, they've thrown it all the way for an ephod, for purple robes and crescent moons. They have all abandoned it for a current moment of success. Brothers and sisters, this is a weighty passage. For we have seen that we must trust in the laws God gives us and in the salvation God gives us because he is our ultimate source of success. We see in this passage that the Israelites have been swept up in the temptation of success despite this. And the last verse states, So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Grace, folks. Grace. They hoard after an idol, and he still gives them rest for 40 years. And we, like the Israel, trust in our leaders in ourselves and in our idols that are just as broken as Gideon's for success. But fear not. God did not send Gideon as the incarnation, nor did God send him to cavalry, but he sent Jesus, a greater Gideon. Jesus was the greater Gideon that the Lord appointed to be our warrior king, Jesus was the greater Gideon that perfectly followed and trusted in God's law. Jesus was the greater Gideon that followed and trusted God's plan for salvation. Jesus was the, pro- was the promise that the Israelites looked forward to as their salvation, and we know now as our salvation. Jesus is the greater Gideon who is good and faithful to God's people to the very end. Jesus is the ultimate source of our success, and we must trust in his provision. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God, and you do not leave us to our own devices, Lord. You are our rescuer, Lord. Lord, let us trust in your provision in these days, Lord. Let us look at the Israelites and learn, Lord, and trust in Jesus, who is the reason, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. We know from him that he is our ultimate source of success. And we must trust and obey. Lord, I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we...